This is episode 18 of Cinescope, and welcome to Dragon Training! Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today is Andrew Grant to talk about one of our favorite films, How to Train Your Dragon. Andrew, how are you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic, Chad. Thank you for asking. It's a little late. We had a little bit of a host shift at the last moment this week. So I appreciate you coming in to fill in this week and record an episode at 11.50 p.m. the night before an episode releases. Of course. Glad I could help, Chad. (laughs) So how about you tell the good people out there who you are? Because, I mean, I know who you are, and we're sitting here in the same room together. But uh, why is that? Who who are you? Um, Well, my name is Andrew Grant. I know have known Chad for quite some time now. God, what was it? Seventh grade? Fifth grade. We were in choir together. We were in choir together. We've been together ever since. Yeah. Went to school together at Texas Tech. This is not the uh, first time we've shared a room. (laughs) (laughs) While there, I got an animal science degree. Um, I'm currently working at a vet clinic, which is partially the reason also why this recording is so late, because I just got off of work not too long ago. So glad to be here to talk about how to train your dragon. Yes, and it should be mentioned, you are Melanie's fiance. Melanie was on uh, the episode where we talked about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, she's my woman. That's her. (laughs) And uh, so this is not even the first time you've been mentioned on this show. We've talked about how while at college, you and I had several sort of staple films that we revisited and watched all the time. And today is actually one of those movies. Very true. Very true. And we're going to have to do some more shows regarding the other movies, but that is for a later date, I'm sure. Yes, definitely. Um, so before we move on to this discussion, just a quick reminder to everybody listening out there, please go to iTunes, take just a couple minutes out of your day to rate, uh, rate the show on iTunes, review the show, and subscribe. Even if you don't use iTunes as your primary podcast provider, just take a couple seconds, click that subscribe button, and then you can completely ignore iTunes for the rest of your life. I don't really <laughs> care, but do that at least, and that would help me out and help the show out incredibly. Uh, we would definitely appreciate it. And with that, Andrew, are you ready to talk about this movie? Let's go. Okay, so today's movie is DreamWorks, How to Train Your Dragon. It was released March 26th, 2010. It was directed by Chris Sanders and Dean Dubois, or however that's pronounced. I hope that's close. The team together also directed Lilo and Stitch way back in 02, 03, which is another one of the films I think we both really enjoy. Yes. It should also be mentioned that Sanders co-directed The Croods for DreamWorks with Kurt D'Amico, and Dubois actually went on and directed How to Train Your Dragon 2 and is also slated to direct How to Train Your Dragon 3. So the script was written by Will Davies as well as the directors, Sanders and Dubois, and the music was composed by John Powell, who's one of my favorites, and he has a long history of composing for DreamWorks and for animated films in general. He composed for Ants, Chicken Run, and Shrek, along with Harry Gregson Williams, The Road to El Dorado, Kung Fu Panda, and Kung Fu Panda 2 with Hans Zimmer, and he also did the original Bourne trilogy, Identity, Supremacy, and Ultimatum, and then the newest Bourne film, Jason Bourne with David Buckley. And then, of course, he did compose the scores for How to Train Your Dragon 2, and most recently, Pan, the Peter Pan film. And he will be returning to compose for How to Train Your Dragon 3. 
So this movie does star a fantastic voice cast, I would say. Jay Baruchel, Gerard Butler, Craig Ferguson, America Ferreira, Jonah Hill, Christopher Mintzplass, TJ Miller, and Kristen Wiig. And, you know, even David Tennant has a little small voice role that uh, isn't made much of in the film, but he actually went on to do more in the TV series, I think. So the doctor himself is in this movie. <laughs> so let's start off. Andrew, what was your first experience or your earliest memories of watching this movie? Wow. So when it was released back in uh, 2010, we were gearing up to graduate. Yeah. High school. Yes, that is. Yes, definitely high school. I guess that that should be thrown in there. When we were graduating high school, um, you know, trying to find our new paths and things like that. I was definitely a lot more undecided than Chad was at the time. But I, I do remember watching this movie and some of the, the lines throughout it really, really spoke to me. Um, especially in terms of of fear of the future, fear of the unknown, um, especially at such a pivotal time in in our lives. So I, I can't tell you the day or the time I saw this movie, or even if I saw it in theaters, but um, I know I did see it not too long after it was released. And it, it really did affect me, and I really enjoyed the movie as a whole, um, and enjoy watching it over and over again, as you well know. Right. And you did say you have a degree in animal science. And a lot of this movie is sort of about animal rights. You know, uh, we'll dive into that a little bit more as we talk about the movie itself. But I can definitely see how it would resonate a little bit more with you in regards to that issue specifically. Definitely. And I have many of things to, to bring up in that regard as well. So I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, for me, the first time I saw this movie, it's funny, I was actually on a cruise ship on a vacation with my family, I think it was one of those movies uh, that was for some reason, playing on loop on one of the stateroom channels. And I never could seem to catch it at the beginning or be able to watch the whole thing in one sitting on that cruise. But multiple times throughout the whole week while we were on the ship, we'd go into the stateroom, turn on the TV when we had the free time and, oh, now we're at this part again, or now we're at this part again. And so I, I first saw this movie in chunks and it wasn't necessarily linear. But even from then, that early on, I was so captured by this movie. You know, I never read the book series that it was based on, the book series by Cressida Cowell. So I had never read those. I didn't know anything about this movie, and I don't really remember the hype going into it. I don't remember trailers or... I, I mean, I definitely didn't see it in theaters the first time around. But anyways, I did get it out on Blu-ray whenever it was available. And at that time, we were freshmen in college, and we were living in the same room. And it was one of those movies that we just put on in the background a lot of the time or in the foreground even. And we just sat and gave all our attention to it then because it was, it's just a fun movie. It's such a gorgeously animated movie and the voice cast is fantastic. And, you know, a couple years ago when how to train your dragon two came out, I got the opportunity to take my cousin. That was my guys. I wanted to take my cousin to go see it, but really I wanted to go see <laughs> both of these movies in theaters since I didn't get to see this in theaters the first time around. And so under the guise of taking my cousin to go, I was able to go and catch both this movie and its sequel in theaters in IMAX 3d, I believe if I remember correctly. And so there are definitely sequences in this movie that were well designed for IMAX. You've got the test drive sequence. You've got the gigantic final fight sequence against the Green Death. It's just, aside from being a great movie to look at, it's got a great story to go with it too. And so let's go ahead and move on to talking about the story. The first thing I wanted to mention is just the intro of the movie. It 
is a perfect movie intro. I, I almost wanted to say that I wish more films did it, but I don't think as many films could pull it off as well as it does here. The opening track on the soundtrack is called This Is Burke, and those are Hiccup's first lines. This is Burke, and he tells us about the people who live there. He tells us about the, the place they're living. Uh, it hails nine months out of the year or three months out of the year, and it rains the other nine, whatever that opposite is. So we, we're learning about the setting. We're learning about the people who live there. We're learning, hey, why are all the buildings new? And we find out, oh, they have a pest problem. What's the pest? <laughs> Dragons. And it's revealed just like that. We, we don't know automatically. We just see as Hiccup is slowly talking to us via narration, we see, oh, look, that uh, sheep was just snatched off the ground. And it's just slowly revealed to us that, oh, dragons are the problem here. And I mean, we could have guessed that, the names in the title, but the, just the slow reveal of Hiccup talking about where he's from, where he lives, the people who live there, and oh, by the way, dragons. And that's when the music picks up and it gets adventurous and sort of swashbuckling to a point. And it's just a, a fun intro sequence. And we go on to meet characters. We go on to hear the musical themes. And it's just a great intro to this movie. I completely agree. Um, it's very storybook-esque, um, especially in, in the way it opens with this narrator hiccup. And then toward the end of the film, he, he comes back again, and it kind of is the conclusion and, and the closing of the story. And it's it's, it's all very fairy tale, very storybook, which adds to the joyful nuance behind a lot of the scenes throughout the, the, the movie. Yeah, the, the storybook nature of the film really works well because, like I said, it is based on a book series. And so we do get that, here's the story, and that was a story at the end. And so it, it really does lend itself well to this is a story that we're being told, and then we get to experience it as we dive in with Hiccup and watch him experience it. And uh, it's wrapped up nicely at the end by sort of, it's sort of like a recapitulation of what we heard at the beginning. We get the same sort of, this is Burke, but this is how things are different from the first time or the last time I talked to you. So that's, that's lots of fun. Now, I would say this movie is also one of the funniest animated offerings out there. You know, there and you can definitely attest to this. There are lines in this movie that I laugh at hysterically every single time every single I watch time. this movie. That's so and true. It, aside from just being funny, it's, it's, I would not say it's excessively funny, like to a fault. I think it, it's a great mixture of the funny and the drama and the, the just good heartedness that is in this movie. But on top of that, and this goes hand in hand with the, the humor is it's just endlessly quotable. There are lines in this movie that I quote all the time. There's <laughs> welcome to dragon training and there's uh, stop being all of you. And I, I like those because of the Scottish accent, but then there's like, I've never seen anyone mess up that badly or <laughs> why read words when you can kill the stuff. The words tell you stuff about. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many great lines that are just, I wouldn't say they're endlessly applicable either, but there are definitely situations where I can say, I've never seen anyone mess up that badly. <laughs> and it, it's just a funny moment, at least for me, because I understand the reference. I, and... I know. I've, I've heard it many times, Chad. <laughs> it's usually quoted toward my direction. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so there, there's just so much fun to be had in this film, both in comedy and quotability, and it really holds up in that regard. Let's go ahead and move on to talking about characters, because there are some great characters in this movie. Let's just start off with the main one. What do you have to say about Hiccup? Hiccup is a very awkward boy, and I I can definitely relate to him in many aspects of this movie. Sometimes it gets a little frustrating how um, little he speaks up or, or stands his ground, especially when you're talking about like 
he's he's trying to get through this you know viking stubbornness this you know we're so rooted in our ways and this is just how it is and how it's been for hundreds of years that just the fact that he's thinking slightly different or in in many cases very differently is so frustrating to me because it's just like he you know just speak up hiccup that that will show them so much more um and he finally does and and it's so relieving toward the end of the movie and i think that's what a lot of the like emotional payoff yes exactly thank you um that payoff toward the end there is what makes it so relatable yeah Yeah. what keeps you coming back to watch it again is because you can feel that struggle you can feel that frustration with him and then at the end you finally say yes take a stand do what's right and try your try your best to to fight for what you believe in right and you bring up a good point he he is trying to fight against the sort of viking stubbornness and setting their ways kind of thing that he's been living with with his father especially but in that regard he's rebelling against his father because he is just as stubborn and big-headed yes. <laughs> and headstrong um and firm in his beliefs and i think that's both a sort of fault and a strength of both of those characters is that they are so rooted not rooted in their ways they're they're so firm in their beliefs they they believe in their cause hiccup he starts off wanting to fit in and when he realizes he can't fit in he realizes that maybe i should just be who i am i mean that's a novel concept and so he becomes fully dedicated to that to, to being no more than who he is and that's okay it takes stoic a long time to come around and to reach that but hiccup has that journey where as he meets toothless and he interacts with him and realizes you know these guys are just as scared of us as we are of them i completely agree that that fear um you know subplot throughout this entire thing and and where hiccup and toothless have this huge connect is through their own fear and instead of seeing that fear and attacking out of fear they finally start to sympathize with one another and work together instead of retracting and only being this very reactive very lashing out a very in all essence animalistic kind of reactions you know when when dogs or cats are scared they they tend to lash out and unless you're approaching them with some form of compassion or some form of you know empathy towards them they won't back down and you see that more so between the humans in this movie than you do between um, Hiccup and any of the dragons. Right. And you, you bring up something. This is where Hiccup really does differ from his father is that, yes, he's stubborn. Yes, he's sort of set in his own ways. But the real takeaway is he's quicker and more willing and able to adapt than Stoic is. And like I said, Stoic does come around eventually towards the end of the film. But we see early on where Hiccup realizes that the the dragons aren't what the monsters that they made them out to be and really they are the monsters of the dragon's world so he proves his adaptability and finds a good friend in toothless also with hiccup he i I love his resourcefulness uh both in terms of building cool gadgets like the the sort of slingshot launcher and then eventually rebuilding toothless's tail essentially but really I love watching, there's a scene in the film where it's sort of a montage-esque. It starts with the forbidden friendship scene where Toothless and Hiccup are interacting with each other 
for the first time and there's no dialogue for like three or four minutes and it's awesome. And then that, that builds into this montage where Hiccup is going back and forth between hanging out with Toothless and going to Dragon Training. And so there's these two contrasting worlds. And first, Hiccup starts using Dragon Training to learn more about Toothless. Mm-hmm. He learns dragons always, always go for the kill. Right. And then it transitions back to with Toothless. Now, why didn't you? And so he's he's approaching Toothless from this theoretical standpoint that the Vikings are at. And then once he starts to sort of figure out and click with Toothless, then he starts using what he's learning with Toothless to excel at dragon training. And so that's a a really cool sort of turn of events within that montage where we see the growth that's happening over that period of time and the bond that is forming between the two, those two characters. And I think you can actually see that as um, that, that growth is where we transition from being taught to learning and how those are different words. Like they have very different meanings, I should say. Um, that, you know, there he's, you know, kind of being spoon fed all of this knowledge, quote unquote, that they think they know. And now that Hiccup has actually found time to sit down with and interact with on a very, you know, intimate level with Toothless, that's where he actually starts to learn new things. And from that, you, you get that transition from being taught to learning. Definitely. Well, now, now let's talk about toothless specifically so he is just he's adorable i think it's i mean you wouldn't think going into the movie about dragons that adorable would be a word you'd use to describe one of the creatures from that movie but especially especially the terrible night fury right get down (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean toothless he is adorable and i love that he's a sort of mix between a cat and a dog at sometimes and even like a human child he exhibits traits of all three where he's imitating he's having fun with he's even teasing at some mm-hmm. point he's teasing hiccup mm-hmm. like with his relationship with astrid or teasing astrid herself when he's carrying around her upside down and doing spins and dunking her in the water he's just playful in that way and he follows the the light around like a laser pointer like when when toothless is playing with him and he's rolling around in the the grass like a dog and at the same time he's also fiercely loyal like a dog Mm -hmm. once that bond is formed it's not broken and so it's it's awesome seeing this this beautiful creature who we see as a monster at first, just like the Vikings. We we go through the same transition as the characters. We see them as monsters, but once we realize that they aren't the monsters and that they can be not tamed in one sense, but related to, then we we become affectionate towards Toothless in the same way that Toothless becomes affectionate toward Hiccup. Very true. Um, I love Toothless as a character. As you well know, I, I actually really like characters that say very little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Wally. Uh, like Wally, exactly. There's just something about the unspoken nature of interactions that I, for some reason, have been really drawn to, um, especially in, in more recent years. And you can see that interaction with Hiccup and Toothless, that imitating nature that that you see, and and this kind of playful nature and the scene that actually really reminds me of a hip, the hippogriff scene in in uh, Harry Potter, where Hiccup essentially like takes this submissive pose and reach, extends his hand out to Toothless, and that's one of the first times that you actually see that true bond being formed. Mm-hmm. That Toothless is actually starting to trust Hiccup now, and from that point on, they can really grow now that neither of them are coming from a place of fear. 
Right. And that's at the tail end of the forbidden friendship scene that I was talking about earlier, where it starts out, Hiccup and Toothless are separate from each other. Hiccup has just fed him some fish and they've split their ways and Hiccup's trying to reach out towards him. He's trying to, and it's only at this moment when he is submissive and is willing to show, you know, I'm not better than you. You, we are, we are equal creatures. We're on equal footing here. And so he looks away, he holds out his hand and that's when Toothless realizes that he can trust Hiccup. And accepts the gesture. Exactly. And then he sort of wrinkles his nose and runs away <laughs> and it's the end of the moment. But from there on, we get to see the, the friendship continue to grow. Of course. So yeah, that, that's one of my favorite scenes. And I, I would go to say that the forbidden friendship scene is one of the all time great cinema scenes. Like mm-hmm. it's just beautifully done, beautifully shot. And the lack of dialogue just makes the expression on the faces of the characters and the, the way they go back and forth with each other, the way, uh, hiccups drawing on the ground with a stick and toothless. Oh, that looks fun. I want to draw on the ground with this stick. <laughs> and so he, he goes and he grabs his tree branch and walking around, he, he, scribbles in the, the the sand and you know the first time i saw that i thought you know what if his dragon draws something that looks like a, a real thing and we zoom out we pan out and there's just scribbles all over the ground but hey he's <laughs> he's just as proud of it as if he had drawn the mona lisa right and uh it's just fun little interactions in that scene where you're seeing both the nature of toothless and his playfulness i should say we got a lot of feedback for this episode, I said, you know, we had a last minute change and we're going to be talking about how to train your dragon. What are your thoughts? And so one of those thoughts that I'd like to share, Aaron White from the Feelin' Film podcast, who was on to talk about Blade Runner, he says, I really like Toothless, one of my favorite dragons ever on screen. Amazing how much personality and emotional emotion they get into him. And I would definitely agree. Uh, I mean, we've talked about a little bit here, just how much we can relate to Toothless just because how he reacts to Hiccup. You, you see the way his eyes narrow or widen or squint, whether, depending on the face he's making. I mean, there's just so much expression that they fit into the eyes. And that's something that, all the best animated films do really well. So like Wally, we already mentioned that when Wally uh, is on screen, the way we see emotion from him when he's not talking is we see the way his eyes angle up and down. And we see, saw the same thing when we talked about the Iron Giant a couple weeks ago. Uh, these characters, the emotion is in the eyes. And the same thing is true for Toothless here. Very true. Um, one of my favorite scenes, and I don't want to jump too far ahead because it also has to do with themes and music and things things like that. But one of my favorite moments with Toothless is when hiccup sets him free and you get that super intense music and you're just like oh my gosh hiccup is is going to die this is where this movie ends this is the worst movie ever (laughs) (laughs) and you just feel that tension build you just feel that fear between both of them are is exchanged in such a intense way that you're just drawn into this movie you're just drawn into that moment like what is about to happen and you don't know it could be a complete disaster but it ends up turning into a beautiful relationship and i think that is just like the first time you see that there's something there there's something different and it just blossoms from that point um it's just one of my favorite moments in the movie especially in regards to toothless great and the only other character i have a lot to say about i have little things to say about the other characters but is uh, stoic stoic being hiccups father um the way he's introduced is in that opening this is burke scene and oh there's one more thing you should know 
sorry, dad. <laughs> and so that's the way we're introduced. We've already set him up as this, this huge hulking Viking. He's the leader of the whole village. He's their savior in a way, right? He, he's willing to put himself in danger and to sacrifice himself and all that good stuff in order to protect his people. That's one of his great attributes is he is truly a great leader. I, I feel like if, if you watch this movie, too close-minded um you see stoic as this terrible father at the beginning um especially since i mean you later find out that apparently mother's not around and that hiccup is his only son and you would feel as though there would be a stronger bond between the two of them um especially right off the bat when you're when you're being introduced to this story and especially being introduced to these two characters but then when you there's just this really quick line that he says, he's like, winter is coming and I've got an entire village to feed. He doesn't say we have an entire village to feed. He doesn't have to say we need to come up with a plan to figure out how we're going to feed everyone. He says, I have an entire village to feed. So in all, in all essence, he treats Hiccup like he does all of his family. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Quote, you know, like his sons and daughters are, everyone that we see in dragon training his brothers and sisters are everyone we see you know going out to fight with him mm-hmm. he is so emotionally involved and invested in his village that you you tell you can tell that he is a, a great leader and definitely demands respect from these people but it's because he treats them like they are his family right and unfortunately hiccup isn't elevated in any way or given any favors but it's just because un- hiccup is yet another one of his many children that he needs to worry about and take care of right and it's over the course of the film that he realizes that he needs to not take his son for granted necessarily not that he was necessarily taking him for granted before but he needs to realize this is my son like this is my own flesh and blood and no matter his differences, he's family. He's true family. And he, he comes to realize that over the course of the film. Now, there's this really heartbreaking moment towards the end. This is after the, the fight scene in the dragon training where Hiccup has revealed, or he, he's sort of put aside his Viking ways. He says, I'm not one of them. He's trying to show the village, you know, we don't have to fight them. Mm-hmm. They aren't as bad as we put them up to be. But then everything goes wrong. There's chaos. There's fire. There's Hiccup almost gets killed, Toothless almost gets killed, and Toothless does get captured. And there's this heartbreaking scene immediately after where Stoic confronts Hiccup and says, you're no son of mine. You've thrown your lot in with them. You're no son of mine. And, you know, the first two or three times you watch this movie, I could see how you could just hate Stoic in that moment. And nowadays, I don't really see it that way. I think it's really hard for me now to not be sympathetic towards Stoic in that moment because... He walks out of the room after he says that line, and you can see how he's hurting that he just said that to his son. He, I think he realizes then and there that maybe that wasn't the correct thing to say. But I also see, you know, we learned this is something that they've been fighting for for 300 years, is what Hiccup says. 300 years, and he's the first one who wouldn't kill a dragon. But Stoic doesn't see it that way. Stoic sees it as, I have to kill dragons to take care of my people. And if my son isn't going to contribute to this, then maybe he might not as well be my son. And I don't think that's coming from a hateful place. I think that's coming from, again, like we were talking about, he sees the people of the village as his family. And so he's trying to see to the good of everybody rather than to listen to his son. And 
So that's, it's a heartbreaking moment in both senses where we see, yes, Hiccup is hurting because Stoic has just essentially disowned him in that moment, but Stoic is also hurting because he had to disown his son. And it's not because he hates his son, it's just because he loves the people and wants to protect them so badly that he feels like that's the decision he had to make in the moment. So true. Um, You definitely see the aptly named Stoic, um, his father, doesn't show emotion throughout almost the entire film. Um, Gets angry, gets riled up, of course, you know, impassionately speaks um, to the people, um, is, you know, has the confidant in the blacksmith. Gobber. Gobber, thank you. And and things like that. But in in sense of true, deep emotions, um, you don't really see much except for when he takes that moment right after disowning Kickup. And you can tell, like, he, he kind of settles back and takes this, like, labored breath. And you see him tear up a little bit. But then he has to get back to work to help the village. And so he puts on his stoic face and goes back out and to, to do what he thinks is right. And so I, I think that break of emotion definitely was very necessary in terms of the story and in terms of the film as a whole to show that Stoic really did have that love for his son, but at the same time felt that was what was necessary to do in order to protect, as you were saying, protect the the rest of his family. Stoic's character is very divisive. It's for or against. You're either my son or you're not. You're either a Viking or you're not. You're either a dragon killer or a dragon lover. There is no in-between. He's very black and white, polar opposites. And that divisiveness really is what initially tears them apart in the first place, Hiccup and and Stoic, in, in terms of his mentality of, I need you to, you know, in order to be a Viking, in order to be a man, in order to, you know, be a leader, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And since Hiccup doesn't fit the, any of those categories, it is very traumatizing to Hiccup. He, he feels really bad that he can't be the son that his father obviously wants. Um, and it hurts Stoic just the same that he doesn't have a son like he in, envisioned his son to be. And I think toward the end of the movie, there's a very slow um, realization that we make those polar opposites. It no one no one made those besides Stoic and no one made that besides Hiccup. You know, there no one drew a, there were no lines in the sand until they were drawn by the words and the actions of both Stoic and Hiccup. Mm-hmm. Um and so once we realize that all of this, you know, you're either with me or against me is our own mentality, we start to realize there is that gray area that you can do your own thing and I can do my own thing and we can meet somewhere in the middle and have this collaboration of ideas that will actually, you know, I will throw out the the caveat that it could bomb completely and everything could have gone haywire. Or, as we see in this movie, everything works out in the end. Mm -hmm. Everything works out for the better even. Mm -hmm. And everyone benefits from this merging of ideas instead of the you're on your side i'm on mine right and i love watching the moment where stoic sort of realizes that he should have listened to hiccup it's the moment where the green death first pokes his head out of the mountain the the big this huge colossus mountain-sized dragon 
leaps out of the earth and he says, Odin, help us. And you, you realize that he realizes, wow, we made a mistake in doing this today. Immediately though, he flips the switch. I'm protecting my people. I'm going to form a distraction so my people can escape for a few minutes, even if it means I die. And of course, Gobber jumps in to help him accomplish that. And then once Hiccup shows up and the rest of his friends, and Toothless gets thrown into the water and Stoic jumps in to take the two of them and save the two of them. That's when we realize, okay, he has come full circle. He has accepted his son for who he is. And he apologizes at that moment. He says, Hiccup, I'm sorry for everything. And Hiccup apologizes too, because he, he realizes, and this is where I was sort of going earlier. Neither of them were right. Neither of them were wrong. They both were. They both had their opinions and that's not wrong of them. Neither of them. We see them both come to realizations here. Yes, I can love my son and I can listen to my son. I need to listen to my son because he has valuable input, even though he's different from the rest of us. And Hiccup realizes, hey, it's an it's an occupational hazard. I should be, even if it's not killing dragons, I should be doing what I can to protect the people I love. And that includes his father in that moment. And so there's a brief apology. And he says, I'm proud to call you my son. <laughs> and he says, thanks, dad. And so there's that great resolution there. And then shortly thereafter, after Hiccup has taken down the green death, there's ash everywhere. There's blackness. There's no sun poking out at all. And stoic and everybody fears that Toothless is dead. And we see the hurt and the, the despair he feels in that moment as he approaches Toothless. Where's my son? Where's Hiccup? Where's Hiccup? And the, the pure emotional relief he feels and we feel when Toothless opens up his wings to reveal that he kept Hiccup safe. There's just so much growth, and I love the resolution between those characters by the end of the film. And there's even one more that I want to mention. A closing scene of the film where Hiccup is woken up, he realizes he's missing his leg, and he goes out and, hey, look, there's dragons everywhere. What's going on here? And Stoic says, it turns out what we needed was a little more of this. And that Gesture you just gestured to all of me. Yep. And that, that's the third time we've heard that sort of gag in the film, but this time it's real, it's, it's a gag used to show we are accepting of all of you, the inside, the outside. We are accepting of you as a Viking, whether you're different from us or not. You are one of us and you have taught us. And it's just, it's, it's a beautiful moment. Now, do you have anything to say about any of the side characters? Who's your favorite side character? Uh, it's not loud. It's not loud. <laughs> What's your favorite line that's not that says? <laughs> the probably when they're around the fire. Um, and because not loud's Jonah Hill's character, yes, right? Yes. Okay, I just wanted to clarify. Um, that uh, when they're sitting around the fire, and he goes, I will avenge your beautiful hand and your beautiful foot by cutting off the hands and feet of every dragon I kill with my face. <laughs> <laughs> It is just the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard in your life. But it is he's so serious and he's so like trying to be that macho man that it just it cracks me up every single time. I hear yeah, the whole movie, he's trying to prove to Astrid <laughs> that he's the man for her and she's the woman for him. And, <laughs> the sun is in my eyes, Astrid. <laughs> right. There's that moment in the dragon training where the, the natter is jumping around and uh, they're paired up together. And he says, oh, don't worry, I got this. And he tries to throw his hammer at the natter and he misses. And there's this moment where he's like, okay, I got to search for an explanation. The sun was in my eyes, Astrid. 
<laughs> it's just a funny moment because there's many moments like it in the film where he's trying to find an excuse or he's just saying something stupid to try and impress Astrid. And so he's definitely a fun, goofy character. Uh, Gobber is one of my favorite characters, both because I love his Scottish accent. That's uh, voiced by Craig Ferguson. And I, I quote him all the time. I love impersonating him. But also, I love that he has a different hook attachment on his arm in every single scene. <laughs> Yes. Um, yes. I think that's that's an easy detail to miss the mm-hmm. first couple times you watch. But once you point it out, I, I challenge everybody listening, go watch How to Train Your Dragon now. And if you didn't know before, pay attention to every time Gobber is on screen, because every time he's in a different location, he has a different attachment on one time. It's a, a hammer. Another time it's a hook. Another time it's a drinking goblet <laughs> and he loses his rock tooth in the, the goblet. And there's this little funny sequence where he's not saying anything, but he's fishing out this rock from his goblet. That's his arm attachment. And he's hammering it back in to his <laughs> mouth where it belongs. And it, it, it's just, he's just a fun character because he's, he's goofy and um, he's just a, also a great partner for stoic. Um, they they work well together and they're both equally willing to put themselves in danger to protect their people. Astrid, she's a good foil for Hiccup. They they just have a good sort of back and forth. And also she has her own sort of growth where like Hiccup giving Toothless a chance to show what he can do. And eventually the Vikings giving dragons a chance to see what they can do and what they're capable of aside from just killing and destroying. She gives Hiccup a chance to show her what he's capable of. And that's when we get the romantic flight sequence where they are. It's, it's like the, the magic carpet ride yes. of this movie. And Hiccup even says, just let me show you. And I, I as we were watching it earlier tonight, I, I sort of finished in my head, the world, because that's definitely <laughs> what that scene is. It's, it's the scene where these characters really hit off with each other. And Astrid becomes aware that Hiccup is not just the spindly little weakling who, doesn't know what he's doing and is just in the way and is a nuisance. He's somebody who has knowledge and can teach beyond just fighting. And she realizes that Toothless is, again, not this killing machine. And so she has her own growth as in that scene specifically where we see her become accepting of both Toothless and of Hiccup and see that bond begin to form as well. I think you definitely see the growth in Astrid because Hiccup doesn't tell her anything. She sees Hiccup's growth she sees the change in Hiccup and is so desperately trying to be a Viking. Astrid is so desperately trying to be a Viking that she just doesn't understand how Hiccup, this you know, forever screw-up of the Viking community, is now outshining her in literally everything he does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if earlier in the movie Hiccup was like, so listen, that Night Fury I took down, He's real. He's in the he's in, you know, this kind of natural enclosure and I've been training with him and learning more about dragons. She would have been just as rejecting of that idea as any of the Viking community. She wouldn't have believed him. She wouldn't have been like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You're training with a dragon. That's why you're so good with dragons, because they're terrible, dangerous creatures that should be killed on sight or you're already dead. Those mm-hmm. are the options. And I think that since there was this kind of moment where Astrid finally is just like, you know what? I've had it. I'm going to find out why he's so good. She then starts to search out what is different. She's open to the idea that he's doing something differently than the rest of us have been. He's working with dra- he, you know, he works with dragons in in the ring and in, in the training arena, I should say in such a different way 
that there's something else going on here. And so she then searches it out. And that's when Hiccup, quote unquote, shows her. And I, I don't think that if he had told her, I don't think if he had showed her any earlier than that point, that she would have been able to accept it as quickly as she did because she almost immediately becomes that confidant. She Im- immediately becomes that, okay, so you can fly dragons. You're the first one who's ever done that in the history of you know being a Viking. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to save your dragon? How are we going to save all these dragons? And more importantly, at least to her, how are we going to save our family? How are we going to save our entire Viking community when everything thus far seems to have just plummeted into chaos. Right, and you bring up a good point. Astrid is the first character, the only character to let Hiccup show what he does and what he's capable of. In the very first scene of the movie, Hiccup takes down the Night Fury. And he has a moment, well, I took down a Night Fury. But nobody <laughs> listens to him. Nobody gives him the chance. Nobody believes him. And, I mean, Snotlout, even the, the first scene in Dragon Train, he says, well, Hiccup killed a Night Fury, so is he disqualified? Or So everybody is sort of dismissive and joking. Even they're, they're not even willing to give him the chance to show that he is right, for one, and that he, is, he has something to show them. And so even though she's sort of forced into it by being, quote-unquote, kidnapped by Toothless... She does give Hiccup that chance to show her what he's been up to and show her how peaceful of a being Toothless is. I do just want to mention two more quick side characters. There's Fishlegs, voiced by Christopher Mintzplass, who, I mean, th- that first scene in the dragon training where he's quoting the, the, like the Dungeons and Dragons character stats, mm-hmm. that, that makes me laugh every time. <laughs> um, what do you what do you need uh plus five speed <laughs> right <laughs> that, that makes me laugh so much and uh i i just want to mention uh rough nut and tough nut as well they have a good funny back and forth as twins and that's uh kristen wig and tj miller they they just work really well together and it's funny watching them banter back and forth uh, that one has a flower on it. girls like flowers oh boom now this one has blood on it <laughs> and as they're fighting over the shield right and so th- they have a fun back and forth and so i think there's something to like about all of the side characters here so let's go ahead and go on and talk about the music a little bit now this is composed by john powell i this is another one of those sound checks that i own on vinyl and it's amazing and i think i can pretty confidently say that this score is in my top five scores like i i think i can say that without doubting myself too much uh, i've already revealed in the past that harry potter and the sorcerer's stone by john williams is probably my favorite just because of the influence it's had in my life but this is one of my favorite this well i, I could probably say it's my favorite animated score of all time i i like i said i'd have to think about it a little bit more to be absolutely positive but i don't think i could really come up with something that's quite as good as this is i would i would have to agree with you there chad um unfortunately my word does not necessarily carry nearly as much weight in terms of scores and having uh, musical instrumentations and overtures all over my my iPod like you do. Um, but to say I enjoy this movie, um, especially its soundtrack, is well within a reachable range for me. I, I love this music and, and the story it tells and the story it helps tell. Because um, I do believe it tells its own story and it's just so complimenting of this story being told, the the, the story we see and experience um, with many senses and just the the additional storyline that the music tells is, is just fantastic in this movie. Mm-hmm. Are there any specific scenes that are super enhanced by the music? Um, I, I did mention earlier when when um, Hiccup first releases Toothless, 
that intense then that in like everything kind of falls out you hear this like low bass and then just you you have the uh it's just a very like skeleton score right there mm-hmm. very minimalistic and it's just it's a very raw moment and the music reflects that um and i think that there's definitely power in that and then obviously i mean i i know you'll talk about this for for an hour and a half i'm sure <laughs> maybe not but, tonight <laughs> <laughs> but um definitely the um the test drive the the soaring music the 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 lightness of the music and um and everything along those lines um as well as the conversion of astrid i, I guess i'll go ahead i don't i'm sure there's a score to that one as well i'm not entirely you know versed in the actual names of these title the titles of the soundtrack but um I'll, I'll call it the conversion of Astrid. Um, <laughs> it's, it's called romantic flight. There you go. Romantic <laughs> flight. Um, in the sense that, you know, when she's not convinced yet, the music is very hectic. It's very crazy. It's this, you know, cacophony of, of all kinds of different instruments and things like that. And then as soon as she transitions, you have that moment of peace. Right. That actually comes like right after she says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please let me down. And Toothless realizes, okay, she's sorry. Let's go easy on her. And that's when he levels out. It's peaceful and cue the music. Exactly. And that, and that, that transition helps tell the story of it quite literally feels like, and as we see, her world is being turned upside down. Right. Everything that she's known in the past, like, you know, Hiccup had more of a, a smooth transition. Um, did not was not so lucky. Her world was literally turned upside down, and in that scene, you see, you you hear it in the music, and then once she comes to that realization, you know, is more at peace with the idea and is on the side of Hiccup and Toothless. That instant change in the score is just uh, phenomenal, and it really yeah. and it really out and deepens that the the emotion of that moment. Right. I won't dive in too deep, but you're right. Test drive is probably my favorite overall track. Well, maybe not. I like This Is Burke a lot too, and I'll talk a lot about that in just a moment. But Test Drive was my ringtone for a long, long while, probably at least a year. And so I've always been really fond of that. I love the energy of it. I love the excitement in the moment. And as things get hectic, Hiccup falls off of Toothless. They're tumbling through the sky. Toothless is spinning helplessly. And then they come together. And as Hiccup reattaches himself to Toothless's back and he pulls up and they come out of the dive and he's going back and forth in between the rocks. It, it, the, the, the theme comes back and wow, it's just a great moment, both cinematically and musically. I mentioned Forbidden Friendship. You know, that's a, a scene that's almost three, four minutes entirely without dialogue. And so the music is at the forefront of that entire scene and it just elevates that what is already a great cinematic scene, both in visuals and character interaction and body language. It takes a great scene and it just brings it up to even greater heights. Romantic flight is one of my favorite love themes in any movie. Um, somebody actually tweeted earlier today, quick name, a love theme. First love theme that comes in your head. And you know, the first one that came into my head was, can you read my mind from the 1976, 77 Superman film by John Williams. But it was very, very closely followed by romantic flight. Maybe because it was fresh in my mind, but also just because it, it's just such, such a beautiful theme. And you know, that, that theme and all of these themes, except for movie test drive are introduced at the very beginning of the film in the, this is Burke track. It sort of serves as a suite for all the themes of the film and it introduces themes specific to characters or to action. 
there is music in this movie that is specific to fighting dragons. And then there's that romantic flight theme that is introduced when we first see Astrid and she turns around and there's flames behind her and toothless is, or hiccup is obviously head over hills for, for Astrid and (laughs) Astrid. Right. And that's when we hear a romantic flight for the first time. And then we don't hear it again until that scene when Astrid comes around. And so, um, man, the, the music here is just so good. And, I, I can't recommend it enough. Like I said, it is one of my top five movie soundtrack, movie scores of all time. So if you haven't checked it out, if you haven't listened to it outside of the film, I would definitely highly recommend doing that. And just a quick couple of listener feedback. Benson Ferris, who you all remember from the Inception episode, he said, How to Train Your Dragon is my current favorite score. The movie itself is all right, but John Powell truly hit a home run with this one. The score is filled with exhilarating themes, adventurous moments, and a lot of fun from beginning to end. And then Alec Bernal, or at Smart Alec on Twitter, said, One of the most played scores for me in the 2010s. Also one of the best IMAX 3D experiences when 3D was sort of new. And I agree with both of you guys. It's just a a beautiful score. It's a fun score. It's an energetic score. And it works as just as good as a listening experience outside of the film as in a film enhancement experience. So let's move into the sort of final thoughts of this movie. So we're going to talk about the relevance. What's what's the big takeaways from this movie? Big takeaways, I would definitely say that, um, um, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of divisiveness in our world, um, especially right now and, and in the past years. It's only grown since this movie came out, um, at least in my, in my worldview. We tend to create a lot more havoc on ourselves and those around us and those we love by making our thoughts and actions very divisive. That because you're acting in way one, you're completely and vehemently against way two. And nine times out of ten, that is just so far from the truth um and and it comes more from a place of lack of understanding or um lack of empathy or willingness to even listen in all honesty to listen to the other side you see that a lot with stoic um throughout the movie is just this lack of listening he just doesn't want to hear it that's not how things are done push into the side and and keep on keep on trucking the way you you know how things are supposed to be run and that's a very divisive action to only surround yourself with thoughts of of like thoughts like yours and to completely shut out the worldviews and opinions of those of those around you who although may have different ideas if you really sit down and listen there are so much more likenesses and there's so much more ways to freely communicate and collaborate with one another with how you're alike than to focus on those differences and let them divide and really make your relationships and your, um, your life in all aspects suffer. Yeah. And going hand in hand with that, I would say a big takeaway from this movie is also letting others be who they are being who you are, not who others want you to be right. Hiccup from the beginning of the film is trying to be shoehorned into this Viking mold that he clearly doesn't fill. He doesn't have the the brawn to fit the Viking standard. He isn't a Viking, not in the same sense as everybody else. He's very different, but he has ideas and he has smarts and he has knowledge. And he comes to realize, 
I'm not like them. I can't be one of them. So I'm going to be happy being who I am. Mm-hmm. And he plays to his strengths. And that's how he comes to be the hero of this film towards the end. He's the one who is able to come forward and take a stand and to save the people in a way that Stoic can't because Stoic has tried to always do things from one viewpoint and Hiccup is coming from another viewpoint and he is bringing a different perspective and because he has realized that I need to be who I am and not who they want me to be, he is able to bring that different perspective. And so in the same sense of being who you want to be and being who you are, letting others be who they want to be and not trying to put them into a mold. So Hiccup comes to realize that of himself and then Stoic comes to realize that of Hiccup. That, yes, he's different and that is okay. And that should be encouraged. We're not all the same. Let's encourage our differences. And that's that. And so I think that's definitely one of the big messages from this movie. Yeah, going off of that, um, I would I would definitely have to agree with, with that. But I think one of the, uh, something that was very important that you saw in this movie is that Although he did not see um, eye to eye with his community, Hiccup stayed against his will. He was talked into staying, um, which is I definitely attributed to Astrid, Astrid's character, saying, "You no, 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 you're not going anywhere. You know, we we need you here." It's so easy to run away from our problems and turn our back on you know everything that we've come from and and the people who have who have raised us and, and, and loved us and protected us, that it's also important to not lose sight of that. And although you're different, to not shove them away or to run away, but instead to go back and help as much as possible. That's his community. That's his family. And in, in order, although he's very different in many ways, it's also very important that he goes back to to help them through this very tough time, and especially when Stoic bites off a little more than he can chew. It's very important that he comes back and, and uses this new knowledge and uses his his differences to help his community. Right. Use your own perspective, your unique perspective to contribute to the conversation. I would also say that friendship is a big goal here. Obviously, you have the friendship between Toothless and Hiccup at the forefront, uh, where they they find in each other kindred spirits, both in mannerism and in outlook. Yes, one's a dragon, one's a human, but they obviously connect with each other because they are similar to one another. And so finding and being with people who are similar to you and who you identify with, but not to the detriment of diversity, right? Finding the people who you identify with, but also the people who confirm who you are and allow you to be who you are. And then I would also say, you know, one of the big positives that do come, that does come out of the Viking lifestyle is the idea of teamwork. And we see that in all the Vikings' willingness to go out and to hunt for the dragon's nest in order to protect the village and the people who are staying behind and to stop this epidemic of dragon attacks and we see their willingness to follow a leader while working together and Stoic's willingness to be that leader that they need. And then eventually Hiccup stepping forward to be the unquestionable leader of the kids and the rest of the tribe too, because he, he puts himself out there. So working together, looking to a leader, being the leader in some situations and just 
overall being a team to accomplish goals. Anything else? No, I mean, there's a, there's, I'm sure there's a lot more themes and relevance that if we really wanted to dissect, um, uh, how to train your dragon and find them all, I'm, I'm sure we could go on for quite some time. But in terms of the big ones, I, I think we hit them. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about on this show a lot how good movies reward rewatches. And I think this is definitely one that will reward watching it again and again. Um, because like I said earlier, there's that moment when Stoic disowns his son. And the first couple times you watch that, it's, it's hard to sort of simplify, sympathize with him right off the bat because it, it is a harsh thing he has said to his son. But the more you go through, the more you start to see his viewpoint and you start to understand his perspective and where he's coming from and why he said that to Hiccup. And there are several other moments like that. So watching this more, being open to exploring more and just paying attention to the details, I think this is definitely one of those movies that rewards rewatchability. And that's why we love it. Any other final thoughts? No, I just um, completely agree. As I've rewatched it several times over the past few years, very different scenes have have spoken to me and have had a lot more weight in in how I uh, perceive them. And you know, you used to always side with the the young guy who's just trying to do what's best. Um, and then you really start to see toward you know as as you mature, as you you know find your own way in life, the other sides of a lot of our actions. You really do no no matter you know. If I watch this movie in a week, I will find something different. And that's just a lot of it is based on, you know, your own perception and your own, you know, mental space. But it also has to do with a great story. And a a great story can show you many different aspects of your own life, even though it's told over and over again. Yeah. And I think a great way to watch movies like this and other movies or whatever, any movie really you could watch this way. Every time you watch it, put yourself in the shoes of a different character and try and understand their motivations. So the first time you watch this, definitely put your put yourself in the shoes of Hiccup. The next time, maybe put yourself in the shoes of Stoic. Another time, hey, why not? Put yourself in the shoes of Gobber. <laughs> I mean, there are so many great characters here, and you can see their viewpoints by just trying to understand their motivations. And that's where good cinema comes from, is characters that make believable decisions based on their perspective and their their walk in life. That is definitely something that is brought to the table here. Now, before I give my definite final thoughts on the movie, I have just a few more listener feedbacks to give. Uh, Gabriel Green from the Underrated Podcast says, best non-Pixar animated film ever, except Iron Giant. And I think I can probably agree with that. Uh, Matthew McDougall says, one of my favorite animated films. And then Eric Woods from Cinematic Sound Radio says, best animated film of all time, in my opinion. Brilliant score that should have won the Oscar. And I, uh, I agree with all of you. I'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll just say this is one of the best animated films of all time. It's a good story. It's, it's got a lot of heart. It's got humor. It's got a great message. And I would say this rivals anything put out by Pixar. I'm not going to say it's better than anything or everything that Pixar put out. I don't know if I can make that call, but I would say this is definitely as good as a Toy Story or as a Wally or anything like that. There is just as much to walk away from here as there is in any Pixar film. And so this is probably, in my opinion, DreamWorks best animated offering. I would have to agree with that last sentiment that it is of of <laughs> DreamWorks works. It is one of the the true gems that come from from DreamWorks Studios. However, I cannot in good faith go on record <laughs> and say that 
it compares to Disney and Pixar, mainly because I am a hundred percent bias um, on <laughs> on that. I definitely love How to Train Your Dragon. Don't get me wrong, but it was a very hard sell for Chad here to have me come on the show and not talk about a Disney movie because <laughs> I am a huge Disney nut. But How to Train Your Dragon is definitely up there. Um, I can I can agree with that, and I absolutely love this movie. Right, and I think that that gives everybody a hint as to what we'll probably be talking <laughs> next time you're on the show, Andrew. Very true, very true. So with that, that is the end of the official 18th episode of Cinescope. Thanks again, Andrew, for at the last minute jumping in to save the day so we could have an episode this week. Of course, glad I could, Chad. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash podcast and at Pod on Twitter. Please go to iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, email feedback and ideas to the Podcast at gmail.com. And you can email me to contact me about co-hosting. Now, in the next couple of weeks, I've got a couple of big co-hosts that I'm really, really excited about. I'll leave those to be surprises for you guys, but I think you guys are going to really enjoy who we have on in the next couple of weeks. Andrew, where can people sort of keep up with you online? Um, they cannot. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a Twitter. It's um, Papa G seventy three. Yeah. Um, you you probably know that better than I do. Quite honestly, <laughs> I don't tweet very often. I don't post on Facebook. Um, not necessarily even a personal choice. It's just I I don't really do it very often. It hasn't become part of my my social interactions to do such things. But I mean, those the, that my Twitter exists, and I'm now more active on it than I have been in the past. So. If, you feel so inclined to find me and follow me more power to you right and that being said it might be best if you have something to say to andrew to say it through me yeah go ahead and tweet chat <laughs> we, we, we live in the same apartment now so right. he lives on the other side of the wall from me <laughs> so we're good i'll pass it on um now for me personally the best place is at chadadada on twitter that is c-h-a-d-a-d-a-d-a and then on Facebook at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. Now, all the show notes and the contact information can be found at the website, thecinescopepodcast.com. Just a quick thing for everybody's information. I changed podcast content hosts over the past week. Uh, I went from Libsyn to fireside.fm by Dan Benjamin and the 5x5 team. So if there are any, any hiccups in downloading or listening to this episode or previous episodes or future episodes for that matter, let me know. That way I can just sort of monitor the situation and we can be ready to go. And that is all for this week. Thanks one more time, Andrew, for being on the show. It's been a lot of fun and now you deserve some sleep. Thank you so much, Chad. It's been a great time talking to you about one of my favorite movies, How to Train Your Dragon. Definitely. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 18. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope, and we'll be back next week with episode 19. Have fun and celebrate movies. Mm-hmm.